This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Patrick Awad, co-founder and CEO of CU Health, a virtual medical practice for businesses providing dedicated multidisciplinary healthcare teams without having to leave your desk. Pat shares his journey from becoming a consultant neurologist to co-founding a medical practice to achieving extensive academic qualifications, including publishing research, to now co-founding and launching CU Health. That's the letter C, the letter U, and the word health with a vision to bring virtual medical and healthcare support to businesses right to the desktop of employees. We talk through the role of co-founders and health tech to underpin a customer experience-focused and digital-first mindset to reimagining healthcare service delivery in a continuously changing world where traditional healthcare is not optimised to support the needs of a growing number of clients and healthcare workforce. Patty's focused on bringing evidence-based approaches supported by appropriate innovation to deliver trusted, compassionate, and excellent healthcare. He talks us through the research that led to the insights around what he calls wellness dividends for large employers and how to implement a healthcare concierge for your teams. I think this is an exemplary example of digital-first thinking in healthcare where a person can collaborate with their GP, psychologist, dietitian, and health coach from their home or office desktop with a purpose-built dashboard, goal framework, medication management and telehealth features, or even an innovative open plan soundproof office access point called a CU pod. We also break down the complementary benefits of digital first thinking to a growing number of healthcare workforce issues and the opportunity to create better fitting roles that meet the work-life balance and needs of a growing number of skilled healthcare workers. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Pat. How are you doing today? Morning, Yanni. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be talking to you about what you're up to with CU Health. Very interesting brand. And I I want to find out the whole journey because I know you've got a background quite extensively academically as well as professionally in your field. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey to date that leads you to co-founding CU Health? It's always hard to know where to begin. Growing up, I always had an interest in sciences. Well, I had an interest in almost everything, but I think that I was attracted to science because it was an interesting way of explaining the world. And then throughout schooling, galvanized the thoughts around medicine, wanted to do that, became interested in neuroscience, went on to study neuroscience and then eventually complete my medical degree. And like a lot of doctors, you've got a pretty prescribed pathway through medicine and through your career. It's like school, kindy, year one, year two, you sort of go through it. And there's good reason for that because it's an important job and you can't cut corners and there's there's no shortcuts to expertise. You have to go through things and ultimately you're looking after human beings and their families. And that was always something that I found very rewarding, a real blend between the science and the human element to the profession. So I went through and uh, completed neurology training and have the privilege of looking after people with neurological illness and uh, I continue to do that. But along the way, there were a number of points in my career where I noticed that there were many ways to contribute to the profession. 
and have an impact beyond the bedside. And a lot of the time they were just systematic things, whether it was an education-related thing, a software-related element. But along the way, you're only as good as the tools you have at hand to deliver care. So with that in mind, I think because of the influences I've had from some great friends, my family as well, uh, just to think outside the square, but at the same time, respect the values of our profession and blend those ideas, started to look at healthcare models and how to deliver healthcare in different ways. Through that frame of thinking, we built, along with my business partner and co-founder, a guy named Danny Mann, we built a medical practice in Sydney. And we built it from scratch and it was a real challenge understanding the needs of a primary care general practice. So as a specialist, I've got a pretty good idea about what the professional lives of GPs are, but you're always learning more and more about different professional groups and then allied healthcare as well and nursing. And that was a successful endeavor and continues to be something we're proud of and contribute to. And through that, we started to expand our interest area, work with other general practices, and then ultimately also help substantially during the COVID response time. Now, throughout that time and prior to it, in in May of 2019, actually, about at least six months before the first coronavirus case was reported, we actually started working on this idea of translating what we felt was the best of community-based primary healthcare to the digital world. The question we were asking ourselves was, how do we take very good general practice with a dedicated team of GPs, nurses, allied healthcare professionals, whether they be psychologists, dietitians, and so forth, How do you take that collegiate environment which serves community and put that into the digital space to expand access to other people so that you really transcend the borders of the practice, the the bricks and mortar constraints of a practice? That was a challenging thing. We saw a number of telehealth operators come onto the market with various models, and some of them were marketplaces for an on-demand service. Well, what we were particularly interested in, though, is whether we could preserve the culture around a very friendly reception, uh, the culture around following patients up and making sure we had a connected care model where patient data and patient history was securely stored but shared amongst those healthcare professionals directly involved with patients' care so that they need not repeat their history over and over again. And all of those things that we discussed at healthcare meetings and conferences together. So it was an ambitious challenge, but we, we set out to do that. And the only way to really do that was to really do a couple of important things. One was to identify all important digital health partners that could feed into this ecosystem, much like a hospital relies on imaging and an emergency department and pathology and all of the different aspects that come together to make an end-to-end service that's outcomes focused. And then the other part of the puzzle was we had to embark on this journey of building our own software to bring it all together and to add to it and to enhance the experience for practitioners and for for the patients that use the service. So this is a long story, but I mean, I think it's an important one because to me illustrates this incremental learning along the way to make sure that you're doing things properly from the beginning and you're really honoring the profession that you're a part of and also keeping patients at the center of care and understanding their needs and priorities. So Then we got to the point, we had a blueprint for this ecosystem, this virtual healthcare practice, and we had supporters in the sense that we had some investment and so forth, and we can talk about that a bit more later. But then ultimately, we needed to be able to bring this to a community, to a market that we could look after. And CU Health is unique in that it is truly a virtual medical and healthcare service with multidisciplinary practitioners, GPs included in that, and we uh, then went embarked on a, a body of research looking at how 
health of working professionals or all employees for that matter really impact their day-to-day lives and the, the businesses they work for. And it became clear that there was a huge imperative to look after busy working people now because people are time poor and health becomes a reactive thing rather than a proactive thing. And with the advent of digital technologies at work, with the legislation allowing for digital prescriptions, with the normalization of virtual healthcare across many and digital healthcare across many platforms, we felt it was time to offer this service, this traditionally founded virtual healthcare service to businesses to look after their population. So we, CU Health, delivers its virtual healthcare platform to businesses for the benefit of their employees. And we treat every company that we serve, much like we treat a community with a medical practice on the corner of the shops. And that creates that real culture and that engagement and a follow-up that's needed to achieve very good healthcare outcomes. And importantly, not just when people are sick or unwell, but in a preventive way, in a physical and mental health way. So that's CU Health's journey so far. There's a lot of innovations that I want to talk to in terms of how you're going about it. But what I might just say at the outset, and one thing that really struck me in meeting you and understanding what CU Health is about is that you've built a practice, you call it a virtual practice. I relate to it through the lens of digital health as a digital first healthcare service provider, which incorporates things like telehealth and other innovations in the mix. But I think to sort of refer to the telehealth backdrop, it would be understating what you've actually been able to achieve. Because I think that modality of being able to connect via video, via voice, via chat and things of that nature, that's an aspect of the toolkit. But I want to go up a level, which is the mindset and the mindset that you and your co-founder, Danny, have applied to reimagining a multidisciplinary healthcare service delivery model is something that I, I really want to get across to our listeners and our viewers. This is digital first thinking in action. And it's about actually saying digital by default, how do we actually take a service experience that we understand who the people are that we're serving and we get a higher sense of empathy and context in terms of how they would like to be serviced. And then we start to design a service accordingly. Whereas healthcare to date hasn't really needed to be digital first because we didn't really have the internet until 30 odd years ago and we live in a material universe. And so the idea of coming to a postcode and entering a physical bricks and mortar practice is very well established and it's very good. But the reality is it doesn't cater for everyone anymore. There are always people who find that particular model difficult to access for whatever reason. It could be logistics, it could be not enough time in the day or whatever the case is. There's a variety of different reasons. What did you find when you were sort of thinking about virtualizing a practice, uh, and especially one at the heart of it has the general practice? That's a very established, hardened model. So mm-hmm. what were the challenges for you and Danny when you were sort of looking at that and going, look, how do we take this, which is great, high quality, very robust, great processes, procedures, all the rest of it. How do we take this and put it into a digital first model? Your question hits an nail on the head in the sense that this is a very well-established and understood profession. General practice is a almost an ancient profession in many ways, has reinvented itself over many generations. And now it takes the form of centre of primary health care and we all understand it to be the family doctor, the GP, and we know that those models have been altered over time in many ways due to commercial and economic challenges or pressures. Back in the day when I was a kid, uh, we had a family GP and it was the jelly bean GP where I would get the jelly bean at the end of the consultation and they knew a number of generations in my family. Then throughout the 90s and early 2000s, we saw an aggregation of general practice or a corporatization of general practice 
that allowed an expansion of services to come to the market and to bring allied healthcare into sort of super clinics. And there was a period where that was happening. And as we all know, there is a lot of friction and difficulty balancing the economic pressures running general practice with bulk billing models versus private models. And some communities cannot be sustained with private models and some can't be sustained with bulk billing models. So this is an ongoing matter. To then come into this and think, well, how do we take the very and appropriately so measured and established approach of general practice into a digital first mindset? It's ambitious and a tough one, but what it really comes down to is looking at it through the eyes of the general practice community. And I mean that when I say that, I mean GPs and I mean GPs at large, not fringe GPs who are necessarily those just interested in technology, but your everyday, hardworking, well-accomplished, multiple qualification GPs that are out there with diplomas in obstetrics and skin management and family planning and counseling and mental health, as well as their primary vocationally registered qualifications in general practice. How do you work with someone who's highly qualified like that and understand how they would like to, if they could, work in the virtual space? If you don't understand that and you don't consult well and you don't immerse yourself in the profession in that way, I think it's very difficult to answer your question with confidence. And the second part is then to, as you say, understand the user journey, if you like, or the the patient and understand the client and how they would like to access care. Now, ultimately, all people, when engaging with healthcare professionals, want a solution to their health problem. Now, that might be an immediate problem, or if you're in a fortunate enough position to think ahead, you may be wanting to prevent something by reducing your risk factors for the future. Now, all of us want to do that conveniently. GPs want to work conveniently, and patients want to be managed conveniently. There's a significant amount of crossover in the Venn diagram in terms of what the patient and the practitioner want to live in a sense that they want to live flexibly, but they want to live according to their values and according to their training. And patients want to receive care that they believe in, that they can trust and that they can follow through with because relationships matter. And we've seen what happens when relationships break down in general practice. There are poorer health outcomes. So when you take all of that into account, I think you then have the confidence to adopt a mindset that allows you to embark on the first step of building a digital first model and thinking, well, what things in the digital first model must we preserve in order to maintain the integrity of primary healthcare and take it to another generation? And which things must we accept cannot be done or should not be done in the digital first space that need to be preserved in order to deliver the best outcomes for for patients and also to respect the medicine? That's sort of the philosophy you have to approach this with. And then you ask the right question. I'm very careful with the phrasing because it can be misconstrued. I very deliberately use the words digital first as opposed to digital only or exclusively digital because Mm -hmm. digital only is not the whole use case or the whole experience or the whole clinical governance model. It's an extension. It's probably another way of putting it is it's a hybrid between the real world service delivery or the material world service delivery and how we can extend that out into the lives of the consumer. And there's a great true north that I often come back to around what is digital health. And simply put, it's how does a service fit into the lives, the schedules, the goals, and the aspirations of healthcare consumers and healthcare providers? And I think it's really great that you've identified both sides of the equation. You can't have one without the other as a starting point. But what tends to happen is because of that highly regulated, processed, pre-existing healthcare service delivery model, it's hard to 
pivot and adapt towards what would be more user-friendly, perhaps more patient-friendly, consumer-friendly, because it's driven predominantly for the way things are currently done within the healthcare system. And that's not a criticism, it's just a reflection. And so if we kind of look at it through the other lens and say, what does the consumer want? And it's much easier to go digital first, but then what happens is it starts to inform how we can actually then potentially recruit and build a professionally developed community of healthcare service providers around that type of experience as well. What are your thoughts on that? You're right. When you start thinking that way, it unlocks possibilities. So one of the analogies I use is often how you can enter a home, you can go through the front door. And if you only accept that that's the way in, well, so be it. Santa comes through the chimney and delivers gifts and that's worked for a long time. And I think that it's important to recognize that there are many ways into a system. And when you start imagining those possibilities, it then opens up far more efficiencies, opportunities for access and so forth. But you just need to be careful whilst doing it. And the digital unlocking of healthcare delivery has meant that you can start looking at how service providers, whether they be GPs or allied healthcare professionals across any industry, how they can best provide their care in a hybrid fashion if needs be. So as we know, many consultations, and I can speak from my own practice as a neurologist, uh, when I see somebody for the first time, I prefer to see them in person for the first time because my particular specialty is heavily reliant upon physical examination and a lot of physical cues uh, inform my diagnostic process. But I would say nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100 even, for the subsequent follow-up, I could probably do that digitally entirely. Now, what that's meant for me in my practice over recent times, because the pandemic has forced us to evaluate this, is it means that I've actually been able to see regional and rural patients far more and deliver them care. They've made one trip into Sydney to see me, and then subsequently I've been able to deliver them metropolitan-based tertiary-level care with a digital platform. Now, that's been tremendous. And then thankfully, a number of the different pharmaceutical providers have thought about how to provide remote care by setting up satellite clinics and so forth in this era. So they don't even need to leave or go very far from their home to receive care. So when you start to think of it that way, and that's just my personal story, when you start to look at each industry and each professional sector, they definitely can map out which areas need to be done physically and should be, and which areas can be done digitally. Now, going beyond that, then that's when you start thinking from the innovation mindset. Sometimes you'll find that a healthcare professional will say, well, that's something I must do face-to-face. There's no problem asking why. Because sometimes there is a new widget or gadget that's validated or coming through that might replace or be able to at least not replace, but be a substitute for what was thought to be something that could only be done face-to-face. I know that in the dermatology space, dermatologists are constantly innovating ways in which to evaluate skin remotely. That's fantastic. And that's not something 10 years ago people would have thought is a valid and evidence-based possibility. So I think continuing to ask these questions and map the user journey, whether it's from the healthcare professional side or from the patient side, allows us to think, is there a digital first or a digital complementary way to expand care and open it up? To answer your question directly, the obvious outcome for that is someone in Perth can look after someone in Sydney and there's so much expertise in this country that wants to be used and delivered but it's constrained by its physical environment and I think that this digital way of thinking allows us to explore all of that 
open up great virtual practices and not constrained by their geography and ultimately deliver the right care to the right person because there's some expertise is in Queensland and it doesn't really see Tasmania and vice versa. But this breaks that down. And I think if done carefully, it's a great thing. There's so much I'm connecting with what you're saying there as well. It's just a lot of opportunity. But again, just to emphasize, it's not about disrupting the world of medicine and health. It's about actually saying, look, the world is changing and consumers are developing new behavioral patterns in terms of how they want to consume goods and services. It's pretty self-evident when you think about retail, when you think about general consumption that happens online, whether it's groceries, whether it's clothing, whether it's shoes and the like. It's just a natural progression that where a person is configuring their life or their consumption choices, they want to build relationships with healthcare in the same way. And as a service provider, that's an opportunity. It doesn't mean 100% of your patients or clients are going to switch to digital. But what it means is that 5, 10, 15% that are starting to move in that direction are now adequately serviced and are able to actually interact with healthcare in a optimized way for their lives, in addition to an optimized way for the health service provider as well. And that starts to move us in that direction. And slowly but surely, we see that evolution happen over time. So it's not disruption, it's just progress. And demand is driving it, I think. You've got a particular cohort or customer focus. A slight segue to get us back to that, but you have a co-founder and you've complemented healthcare with health tech as well. So did you need the planets to align here around health tech needing to have advanced to a certain point to give you the toolkit? And did you also need to look at your co-founder and yourself and look at your skills and your experience and sort of say, is all this coming together? Do we have everything we need as co-founders to be able to nail this? It's really interesting when you think of it retrospectively as to how things come together. And I think that if you ask me that question at different points, I'd have very different answers because you can only look at things in hindsight and then evaluate, well, how did we we come here? And I think that luck and chance are part of any outcome in life. But for Danny and I, we were definitely individually pursuing our own interests in innovation and in how to maximize our skill sets and contribute in ways that we found fulfilling and meaningful. Being more specific about it, when we started working together, we were very much focused on how to improve the experience of both patients and healthcare professionals in a traditional sense through practice design and using technology behind the scenes to enhance the way a practice can be run so that the service that the patient receives can be very human focused. It's almost like you use technology to optimize everything without getting in the way of the human interaction. And that's a really important part, I think, of healthcare delivery. Over time, I think we both got, when I say we both, Danny and I, we both have a real respect for others' expertise and others' innovation. And along the way, making good relationships and establishing partnerships with interesting people that are doing great work and also with the same philosophy and values as us in the way that you've articulated. We're not here to disrupt healthcare. That would be foolish. I think that the idea is to enhance it and progress it in line with its traditions and values so that you can incrementally bring the whole healthcare community along. And in many ways, the pandemic accelerated that frame of thinking. We saw a lot of people in the digital health space put their hand up over the last five years to develop really interesting tools or service models. But they, to the credit of those founders, I think they're very forward thinking and progressive. 
And sometimes they come from outside the health space because a lot of the time tech innovators purely or business analysts will look at a system and think, how can we fix this or optimize it without necessarily understanding all of the nuances and regulatory environment and culture of an industry, whether that's in a legal profession. I mean, we see engineers sometimes try and run law firms by systematizing things. So I think that any great outcome is the sum of its parts. And as long as you have that mindset, you can along the way have a very good filter for understanding who it is you need to bring into your ecosystem to advance it and who is going to be a bit too narrow in terms of their thinking. And so along the way, Danny and I both had a very open mind in terms of understanding what was out there, but at the same time, both have a very laser-like focus on an outcome because I think you need to be very clear about where you want to land in order to know what decisions to make along the way. So to answer your question, at any point along the way that we felt we needed something to fill in the journey, we would go out and research who it was that was really doing great work in that space, validate that with other people that we respect, pick up the phone and tell them what we're doing. And I think when we tell people what we were doing, they really loved it because it just made sense. And we weren't taking a true risk in the sense that we weren't doing something here to put healthcare professionals offside or patients offside. We were actually doing something to help both. And I think there are many people that want to be part of that. I would agree 100%. The business studies graduates would understand the notion of early adopters and innovators. There's always that first 15% that is looking for improvements, willing to embrace it, willing to accept the enhancement or the change, whilst the majority wait and see. So it takes a little bit of time. It does show leadership. But the point is, it's not just jumping into darkness. By understanding the mindset of an early adopter and that the fact that they actually exist, there's some confidence there that there is a market forming. There is a problem to solve. There is an opportunity to address. And that can be tested and validated quite cost-effectively and relatively low risk so that you're not all in on the speculation side of things and you're actually doing it in a conservative measured way and systematically. The idea of the letter C and the letter U in CU Health is to connect. It's connect us, is that it? Or connect, yes, so connect us health. And you appear to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you appear to be focused on businesses and, and becoming their virtual health practice that they can actually introduce and make available to the team, to the employees. What led to that? And how does a business engage with you? What's the customer experience like? This has been a real eye-opener for me over the last few years. I took my background in research and development and understanding evidence-based practice. And with all of that and my collaboration with Danny, we embarked on this journey of building out this virtual healthcare service. And then ultimately, we thought, well, we're opening up access to great primary healthcare, and we want to be able to look after communities much like we do in the traditional setting. And As a result of that, we started looking at those in Australia that really would benefit from this service. And we know that everybody, I mean, fundamentally would benefit. And that's evidenced by the fact that now telehealth is going to be reimbursed through Medicare as long as the rules are followed uh, ongoing. Uh, The announcement was made the other day. And I think that as long as general practice is protected and the patient care is protected, that's a great thing. And so the pandemic has accelerated all of this adoption. When we were evaluating how, where to direct this service we're built. There's regional Australia. And we thought about there's the different initiatives that are going on in regional Australia. And then we started looking at metropolitan Australia and sort of reflected on the fact that people are busier than ever. There's daycare, there's people going to the gym, work commitments, which now sort of blend with life commitments because people are 
in a hybrid workforce, working from home and the office space. It's just life has become complicated and there's not a typical day for any one person. And we're having to almost pre-format our days now to make sense of them because there was just a typical day, I think, historically. People woke up, went to work, and there was almost an assumption as to the way people live their lives. These days, it's so 24 hours in a day, and, and it's used in all kinds of various ways. Every person in a metropolitan community is, is doing their best to make ends meet, and most have employers and they're trying to get their work done and do their best for their work. And then the next step was to understand, well, how does health impact business? How does the well-being of employees impact business? And, and looking at that both from a cultural perspective right through to the bottom line in dollars, how does the well-being and health of employees affect the productivity and the, the engagement levels within any organization from small businesses to large businesses. So as we do, we don't do things by halves and we completed a large report for the well-being dividend report. The reason we adopted this term well-being dividends is we realized that this is through many studies that if you look after employees, it ultimately leads to a more engaged workforce, better retention of employees, a better culture, just all of the offshoots, all of the benefits of having good well-being and good health for a human being, that's translated into family life as much as it's translated into work life. So there are many health economic reports on this, and it's pretty clear now that for every dollar spent on an employee's well-being, there's a return on investment to a company, and that return varies depending on the intervention. It might be $2, it might be $6, depending on what the intervention is. But this area of investing in the well-being of employees it has become well understood. But interestingly, prior to the pandemic, only 30 to 40% of organizations, enterprise organizations, had a well-developed health and well-being strategy for their teams. Now, after the pandemic, with all of the pressures that we're aware of and all of the complications we're aware of, now over 85%, approaching 90% of organizations have a health and well-being strategy and support system for their employees. So through that lens, we then came to understand employee assistance programs, which are the traditional counseling and psychology services that companies offer. And they offer them through many different channels and models. Some of them are very traditional face-to-face and others are adapting with technology. There are also executive health checks, which were always done. And then there's this emergence of more holistic mental health well-being for employees, whether it's around meditation, for mental health first aid, all of these other initiatives that are taking place to look at at-risk employees and uplift organizations and some corporate responsibility to look after the workforce, notwithstanding the fact that there is an economic validation for doing that, it's also the right thing to do. So with all that in mind, we thought, what better way to have an impact on communities than to direct our service toward businesses and say to employers, look, if you want to provide physical and mental health care services that are directed medically, directed with evidence under a tech platform that's secure, where a dedicated team will take care of your team, we thought that just made sense as a very substantial and a very, I think, appealing opportunity for employers to look after their employees and for employees to take be, be empowered by that service. So we knew we needed to provide a service that would save time for those who just needed a repeat prescription, maybe for a medication they've been on for years and it's low risk for them to get a repeat script. It would save them time. They don't need to leave the office. It's all conducted through our app, whether it's on mobile, desktop. We even have developed a pod 
a workplace pod which allows private consultations to occur within open plan workspaces. So whether it's that element of things, whether it's a preventive element, someone may want to reach a healthy weight range or improve their resilience over time so that they can be stronger for their families and for their work. It might be that they want to have a health check or a review because they've got a family history of diabetes or ischemic heart disease. So whatever it might be, whether it's saving time right through to preventing illness or dealing with comprehensive mental health concerns through consultations throughout a year, our service provides that in a complete collaborative way on a secure platform. What we knew that it's important to provide ongoing touch points with healthcare. So we've got nurses that provide ongoing chat and engagement with employees if they've got questions. So in a sense, that's how we established the business model and the way in which we could get CU Health's great service into communities. They need not be geographically locked, but they are identified through their employer and that might be spread across the country. It makes a lot of sense in this sort of modernised, digitised world of ours, especially now that a lot of employers have figured out how to have remote workforce. Now, I won't get into whether they like it or not, because I think there's uh, the community's divided on that. But I can tell you from personal experience, we're a completely digital first organisation. Our workforce is recruited from all over Australia, which means that any initiatives we put in place, we have to think about non-traditional borderless ways of achieving it. How do we distribute? We do things that support and supply the remote office setup, for example. So you need to be able to have distribution for that. Similarly, we provide health foods for our team members. You need to find suppliers who can actually do the distribution Australia-wide. So to me, it's just a a one-to-one correlation there that if you're looking after the health and well-being of your workforce, that you also need to have service providers that can distribute the service to wherever your uh, your team members happen to be. So I think that's just sort of a natural and native advantage there in thinking digital first. And the pod idea is very interesting because it's clear going forward that maybe to the disappointment and possibly frustration of a few employees out there that employers would like them to come back into the office in part, if not wholly. That pod idea is very innovative. Tell us a little bit about that and how that came about. When we were looking to provide this service, we really didn't want to leave any barriers up at the end that would make it difficult to access a service. What that meant was planning carefully from the beginning and understanding the way in which working professionals live. Now, when I say working professionals, it could be anybody from people in couriering, it could be whether they're driving trucks, working in branches and retail outlets through to head offices. So I don't want to pigeonhole this into corporate Sydney or corporate Melbourne. This is looking after workforces, independent of the way in which they conduct their work. The next step is thinking, well, how? what are the many ways in which they might access our service, whether it be at home or in the office or on the go? So the pod, the pod was thought of very early on as a means to accessing a private space in an open plan work area. And this was thought of before the pandemic. It just so happens that this digital health took off and telehealth took off during the pandemic out of necessity. But as all the dust settles, uh, all the parts of our system, I think, are still highly relevant. And the pod is a secure private space with the capacity to have a conversation over a screen, a telehealth consultation over the, the screen inside the pod. It can be placed wherever it's deemed most discreet and appropriate within an open plan workspace. It mitigates the need for sick bays and conference rooms to be used. It means the person who's about to have the consultation 
irrespective of whether it's with a health coach, a GP, a dietitian, or a psychologist or a counsellor, whatever service they're accessing through CU Health, they can have it through the pod. There's a lot of technology built into it. There is a unique codes that allow you to access the pod that's delivered to the patient or the member. We refer to those that use our service as members. The member can access the pod securely with their unique code and conduct their consultation. But we're constantly looking at ways of also integrating biomedical devices into the pod that are validated. So if you're checking blood pressure or pulse or whatever it might be over time, as we validate these services with our doctors and make sure that they're completely comfortable with the evidence behind the add-ons, it means that the pods are also a place to increase engagement with preventive healthcare, allow people to add things like their blood pressure, their weight, their and so forth into the app. The pod becomes almost a focal point for healthcare in an organization. It really fundamentally is another tool or access point that doesn't mean there's a barrier for privacy when it comes to having the consultation. We all know at the end of the day, most of the value is delivered through the transfer of knowledge and the expertise from a very highly qualified professional through a digital platform and all of the other things we can add on a complementary all add to the diagnostic accuracy. And then the pod allows for that. That's fantastic. And so a member of CU Health would come about through the employer bringing in CU Health and making it available to the community of employees. It's multidisciplinary. So just touch on it. So general practice has obviously come out. You've talked about mental health as well. I think you referenced there uh, some kind of uh, coaching or asynchronous support team members with the nursing, any other disciplines in the mix? We looked at all of the primary health care, allied health channels and industry sectors and sought to understand at this stage what the most high yield expertise would be on a routine basis to access to improve health profiles. And so really general practice and general practice in absolute truest sense. So our GPs, they are GPs that work in bricks and mortar practices some days of the week and CU Health other days of the week. So they are very much connected with the whole world of general practice as they should be. We, we really want our GPs to be connected with the work that they do and be fulfilled by doing different kinds of general practice so that they can get the most out of their work and deliver the best outcomes to the members. Then there's psychologists, which are a part of that. Now, we work with clinical psychologists. As you know, clinical psychologists have done extra qualifications and subspecialty areas, which allow them to take on some challenging cases. We work with psychologists and counsellors, depending on the needs of the members. We have dietitians, and dietitians are so important, but they're underutilized in the community in a lot of ways because, A, people are time poor and often just see the healthcare professional they need reactively at the time they're unwell. But a dietitian can fundamentally improve sleep, prevent diabetes, reduce the risk of heart attack, improve energy throughout the day, a whole variety of things. And I think a lot of people are looking for dietary ways of improving their life without going necessarily down a medical way in the first instance. So dietitians were a part of our service and health coaches and all health coaches are registered nurses with a specific interest in primary healthcare and preventive medicine. And so you know that a healthcare professional is always speaking to you and all of them work together collaboratively. We call it a collaborative care model. They all input to the same healthcare system so that they can correspond in a secure way about individual members and make sure that that member is receiving the best care possible and all of them can interfere into each other. And the member can come through whichever door they like or window or chimney, if you like, so they can see a dietitian first to discuss their weight because maybe that's something that's on their mind and that dietitian might identify that there's a psychological element to it which might be of benefit and talk to the member about that, see if they're interested. There might be a medical thing that needs to be ruled out first. So that's why we've developed that model, and the collaborative care model and the data is held securely amongst them, much like a hospital or a medical practice is. So that's what we call connected care, 
the data is not inefficient and that the member doesn't need to repeat themselves over and over. And the other part of the puzzle that I haven't mentioned yet is we spend a lot of time with experts building out a health check tool. And what that tool does is it seeks to identify before any members start using the virtual healthcare service that CU Health offers, before they've onboarded, throughout the onboarding process, we ask questions across many domains, the health background, mental health, social supports, smoking history, all of those things that help our service understand the member, which means that then once they're onboarded into the service, we can make sure that we've got the right team looking after them. And it's not hit and miss because one of the things we know is in the community, you often show up somewhere, you see somebody, they might not be the right fit for you. And then you need to go and look for another healthcare provider that is the right fit. So we aim to work that out up front uh, so that people are on the right track from the beginning. And all of this is built into our software, our UX, our CX journey. And it tells a story because it's really outcomes focused and aims to be sustainable. That's great. And the CX, they're just touching on it. You've got a dashboard for the members. They're able to deal with their appointments and engage with uh, the online appointments as well. Medication management, things of that nature is all included. That's fantastic. I think a lot of people listening who have had that experience where they have to come into the practice in order to get the script would probably go, (laughs) that is fantastic. Because we are getting time poor, aren't we? It's like it's getting... And it leads to disengagement, loss to follow up, and then loss of opportunity to do some prevention. Because we all know I mean, as much as, you know, it's an old motherhood statement, I don't like that term either, but the prevention is better than cure. We all know it. The money in prevention has always been lacking, but prevention often occurs because you just get to have more frequent interactions with healthcare professionals that can impart a bit of wisdom and a bit of evidence. And that really makes a difference incrementally over time. And CU Health allows for that touch point to be frequent. But just to go back on something you mentioned, Yes, you can manage all the appointments and your goals and so many things through the platform, which we've built, whether it's chatting to the health coaches or booking or cancelling or integrating with your Outlook calendar. All of these things are things we've, we've built out so that it works in with the workflow of working people. But one of the things that I think speaks to the heart of not disrupting healthcare but enhancing it is we made sure that if a member has a pre-existing GP that they have a relationship with and they have a family connection with, whatever it might be, the member can nominate that GP to consult through CU Health and we then seek to connect, which is part of the whole connect us uh, part of, we then seek to connect the uh, member with their existing GP, notify them and maintain that continuity of care and not disrupt it. And that's been an important value of ours to maintain. And we've taken the measures to allow the software to integrate as well so that that occurs at no disruption to the healthcare provider. So they simply are onboarded and it doesn't interfere with their regular practice. Now, that that was something that took a lot of thought and consideration. We could have definitely aimed to just forget about that and not bother. We, We just would never do that. And at the end of the day, that goes back to your very first question about the mindset. That really is one of those aspects that gave us the confidence to have the mindset. I think mindset's critical. I think it's at the heart of innovation. I think it was Henry Ford that said, whether you think you can or think you can't, either way you're right. So we have to embrace the limitations in our own thinking sometimes in order to innovate. But I think it's fair to say that human innovation is really what we're talking about here. The tech is all enablers. But once we figure out what we need to do and why we need to do it, then the solutions start to reveal themselves on how we can actually piece things together, how we can fill the gaps in with health tech innovations and things of that nature. 
Pat, a couple of things just before we finish up today. One is that I really want to go back to this sort of provider experience as well, because I think it's come through really strongly. What a great member experience it will be for the CU Health community, for the employers and the wellbeing dividend that you have uh, researched and articulated. I think a lot of business owners, astute business owners would understand and put those two together quite nicely in their head. You know, employee wellbeing equals better outcomes for financial sustainability in the business as well. So it's a bit of a win-win. I did a panel and a discussion with 130-odd business owners last Tuesday night, and this is allied health business owners. And quick shout-out to Kathy Love from the NACA Consulting Group who facilitated that and was an excellent moderator. But one of the pain points that was happening there amongst that practice community was either actual or perceived risk of their employees being more and more difficult to be retained and recruiting in the sector. And part of it is, uh, you know, this sort of backdrop of, uh, you know, the great resignation coming out of the US and things mm. of that nature, which I'm not going to break down in too much detail today. But the point is that recruiting in healthcare is challenging. And there are a lot of things which I ironically would go to your whole notion of the wellbeing dividend is what are some of the risk factors there? Well, things like burnout and how mm. that impacts a person's showing up. So absenteeism, things of that nature. There's a lot of stuff that I think when we look at the business of healthcare through our own way of trying to grow businesses in healthcare, we understand the issues that other businesses have with their own team members. So in your case, what I want to bring through to the listeners and the viewers is the idea that digital first thinking naturally passes through as a recruitment solution because there are people out there who are right now have removed themselves from the workforce in healthcare for a variety of reasons, because the conditions under which they're expected to work, they're rejecting them. So when you go digital first, all of a sudden you have a potential marketplace of people who would work for you as long Mm -hmm. as the conditions were more suitable to what they expect for their work-life balance. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you see that unfolding for CU Health? One thing we identified when we started speaking to, and I'll just speak about allied healthcare professionals because it's the group that you were referring to. There's this really interesting balance of things that I think that we saw that all of them wanted in their work life. And I think this probably goes to almost all professions, but firstly, there's the, there's the autonomy to practice in ways that fit with your life, whether it's your family life or your other goals or whatever it might be. And I think that that's a newer aspirational goal, particularly because we see a lot of office workers doing that. Healthcare professionals start to think, well, hang on, we can provide our services in different ways too. So I think that there's an emerging call for different, well-regulated, but flexible ways in which to work that allow healthcare practitioners to connect with their clients or patients. And obviously the digital world has opened that up. The other thing, though, that's really interesting is that whilst people want that individualization of their workflow, they also want to be connected to a team because, A, you get to debrief with a team and bounce ideas off them and hone your expertise, and, B, there's that sense of camaraderie and collegiality that I think a lot of people seek, that connectedness they want with their work. And when you're working in a completely isolated digital world, that's difficult. One of the things that we wanted to do and did do as we developed CU Health is make sure that each group, whether it's psychologists, dietitians, GPs, health coaches, had the capacity to interact with each other 
not just informally, but actually as part of our system. One of the things that I loved working in the hospital system is that we have multidisciplinary meetings where each of us bounce ideas off each other to get the best outcome for the patients through each of our different lenses as experts. When we started doing this, running multidisciplinary virtual meetings with dietitians, nurses, doctors, psychologists, it was just wonderful because a lot of the time in primary healthcare, there's not the opportunity nor the economic imperative to get together and share evidence and share experience in cases and come to better outcomes. So I think that when it comes to recruitment challenges in the healthcare professional side, one thing is to offer remuneration that reflects the value that those people bring, which we know sometimes is difficult to put a price on, you know, life-changing expertise for people. But at the end of the day, you need to be competitive in that respect. The next thing is, I think you really need to provide options that prioritize their individual circumstances, but at the same time, structure that means that the service can work well. At the end of the day, you need some structure, you need some programming, but it can be democratized to an extent where everybody gets to be involved with how that can play out. Thirdly, I think you need community. You need to have an opportunity for healthcare professionals to connect together, share their expertise, learn from each other. Mentorship needs to be factored into that. And I think one of the fourth thing that really came through is, is the opportunity to use your expertise differently. So a lot of healthcare professionals do one-on-one healthcare, which is the core of healthcare. But there might be a psychologist that wants to give a talk on burnout. There might be a dietitian that wants to give a talk on the gut-brain axis or some area of interest that they're passionate about. And what digital allows is you've got the one-to-one interaction, which is often personalized private healthcare. And then there's a one-to-many interaction, which is easy because you don't need to book an auditorium. You can just open up a webinar and you can provide a talk and disseminate health information and improve health literacy. And I think a lot of healthcare professionals love this idea, and I know I do, of looking after individual members or patients, doing some research, collaborating with colleagues, presenting occasionally on topics you're interested in, or just doing one or none of them at certain points in your career, depending on what the priorities are inside and outside of work. Now, a digital first approach allows you to think of all of these options and open them up to people. And I think that really helps from a recruiting perspective. I think that's a really astute observation there. I've actually seen that in our anecdotal feedback systems that there is a percentage when we think through why does allied health have some shortages at the moment in terms of people wanting to work, willing to work, or the supply side, if you look at it that way. One of the issues, I mean, the obvious ones are burnout, stress, that sort of time in, time out, time in, time out can be pretty fatiguing, especially when demand is arguably at an all-time high at the moment across Mm -hmm. Allied. But another one is that a percentage of the Allied Health uh, workforce is leaving Allied Health in order to pursue interests in other verticals, other industries. And I think that goes Mm -hmm. precisely to the point you were just making there, which is about when you're running a healthcare business, if you're not asking those questions and engaging with your team and trying to figure out where's their pathway, you may not discover that person that you associate as a highly skilled clinician may actually also be very interested in technology or may be interested in human resources or may be interested in -hmm. in something else, which could be an expansion of the role that they play within your team that actually helps them fulfil that ambition without necessarily feeling the need to resign and go and work somewhere else in order to achieve that. And that's before we sort of get into redistribution of our populations and people wanting to 
exit the city life, go to places that are have a bit more space, perhaps grow a few veggies in the backyard, perhaps. Sounds nice. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a great sort of goals and if they can take the work with them, as opposed Mm -hmm. to being required to be in a physical proximity of work in order to work, it's kind of like bring your own work, like take it wherever you want to go, make it work for you and your work life. That's another digital first perk, I think, or benefit that a lot of people aren't really talking about. And I think that's an understated opportunity when we have the mindset towards digital first, we can reimagine not just the, in your case, the member experience, the patient experience, the consumer experience, but we can also reimagine the employee, the team member, the healthcare professional's experience in the process. And I see win-wins across that spectrum for those who are Mm, are wired up that way and are tuned into it. Yeah. We are seeing that with our team. And I think that what we learned, it's about supporting that as best we can to make it as professional as we can. So if somebody is working from a remote location because they want to move there, then the challenge isn't saying, no, don't do that. No, absolutely do that. The challenge is, have you got good connectivity? Will you receive a text message reminder when your client or patient is behind the screen? You start thinking of other digital solutions or technological solutions to enable it to occur so that the service runs well. And I think that that's the end of the day when you do it what are the challenges that we come up against operationally when you're trying to improve services all the time it's firstly looking at through that lens that win-win lens and then making sure that privacy is protected connectivity is protected the workflow is protected and that's what we need to do as operators and i think that that's where the innovation is going to come through and i'm sure that we'll see other innovative people help us along the way solve those little challenges because each of these little workflow challenges actually incrementally improve the service a lot. And that's where I think I'd love to see when I attend digital health conferences and so forth, I would love to see us as founders talking about bottlenecks in a service delivery, not in the philosophy of it. We all need to agree fundamentally there's a lot of win-wins here, but just the little bottlenecks that we can all overcome so that patients get the best care and the service runs to time. They sound like boring things, but they're the stuff that every practice on the corner that you try to get into with waiting times and bookings. And they're all worried about that. And if we're doing our job properly, the digital part will take care of itself and we'll just be worried about the same stuff. Customer service, making sure it runs on time and that sort of stuff. Yeah, we're already seeing that with our healthcare professionals and it's been great, you know, and the digital scripts has obviously helped a lot from the GP side. Well, one very last question, Pat, before I let you go, in the spirit of the namesake of the show, what's the world going to be like over the next five to 10 years if CU Health achieves its vision? Our vision is to bring healthcare to the desktop of every working person. And so for us, I think that there's going to be an education phase for the market generally, whether that's the healthcare professionals and the employers, as to why providing evidence-based virtual healthcare that addresses mental and physical needs is really imperative for working populations going forward. And that's not because Australia doesn't have a great healthcare system. It does. Comparatively, it does. But it's got its bugbears. And this is a fundamental opportunity with, I think, a great group of people with goodwill and the right collaborative efforts to take Australia's healthcare to the next level of great healthcare. So for CU Health and our vision is to really bring that healthcare to the desktop of every working person and ultimately move from enterprise through the small businesses and make this just a truly every person virtual medical practice. This isn't just for executives. This is for every working person. And ultimately, I think, provides a model of care, whether it's B2B or B2C. 
I mean, whether this is a direct to consumer or not, we're just channeling it through employers because we think that that's a very important place to channel this. But at the end of the day, if a person subscribed to this service to receive their health care, they'd be receiving great care. And at the end of the day, would still be able to see physically the healthcare professionals at the time and place they need to as well. So our vision is to bring that to millions of people. We're starting with one small community at a time and getting it right. What a great vision, Pat. I just had this epiphany in hearing you talk through that on what my world might look like where we operate with tools like Slack and Teams and Mm. we have a whole bunch of departments that are hooked into channels and When you need to talk payroll, you go here. When you need to talk marketing, you go there. When you need to talk to product, you go over there. Well, now there's a virtual clinic in my uh, Slack channel or in my Teams grouping that I can start the process. My access point is literally at my desktop. That's a great vision, Pat. And I really appreciate you coming along and sharing that and also describing your journey, moving through from being a very well-credentialed and qualified health professional to now being a health tech innovator very exciting stuff. I look forward to hearing a lot more about it. I've had to hold back. There's so much I want to discuss with you. There's so much more to unpack. So maybe it's one for another time, but thanks, Pat. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Yanni. Been a pleasure. And I hope we can catch up again next year sometime. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.